Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego, live at the Voice of San Diego studio. Well, I'm live. You're getting this recorded in the Voice of San Diego office. I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Yeah, by that measure, everything that every piece of content has been live. Yeah, at some point, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. I'm excited about the live podcast. We'll talk about that in a second. So uh-huh. it's just kind of stuck in my head. And I'm joined also by fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Villafaña. ¿Cómo estás, Lopez? What's up, Luis? Coming up on the show this week, news from San Diego Unified as the school district's board voted to delay its requirement that students get the COVID-19 vaccine. Staff had some interesting things to say about why they wanted that. We'll break down the latest from the biggest school district in San Diego. And the shortlist for Sports Arena is back. That's right. The San Diego City Council voted. And now the list of groups that may get the gig to redevelop the city's 50 acres of land or almost 50 acres of land at the Sports Arena area in the Midway District is now down to three again. So what happened at City Council this week and what's important to remember going forward? We'll go through that. That is all coming up. Stay with us. But first, in just a few weeks, we're going to be in Chula Vista, Thursday, June 9th. We're hosting a live podcast. It's time to do that again. Let's go. Let's go have some fun with the crowd again, talk some politics, talk some chisme, right? We'll see how it goes. Still two and a half weeks for something to go wrong. <laughs> monkey, monkey pox <laughs> might derail this one. Yeah. I'm not joking about pandemics anymore. Let's not do that. They, they, a, a lot I remember of jokes, of jokes in the front, back in February of, of 2020. <laughs> We've got two special uh, guests for that show. Chula Vista City Council member Andrea Cardenas will join us along with Steve Garcia. They are um, going to be there. Garcia 
is the host of the Emo Brown podcast. You heard that in our feed when he interviewed me a little while ago. It should be fun. Get your tickets now at VOSD.org slash events. That's VOSD.org slash events. You seemed into it, Lopez. We're excited for this one, right? I'm super excited. There's going to be beer, cool people, um, food, us, aka cool people. Yeah, exactly. So made it back to the office. Thank you all for staying, standing with me during my plight with the second infection of COVID-19, <laughs> which was the w- most disruptive mild sore throat I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> it was not. Uh, apparently, you can get it a lot. And I think I have to come to terms with, and we should all come to terms with the fact that the vaccine, and I did all the vaccines and the booster, it's not going to stop an infection. Now, it does still protect you from severe illness. I think that's pretty clear. But I think we should all like go ahead and accept that the that getting it is not less likely. Yeah, have we not accepted that yet? I, I had intellectually, but I okay. still thought like, I think there's still a lot of like vaccine requirements or go to this place, you need a vaccine in order to prevent the spread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are the things that haven't been gotten. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not going to prevent the spread. Yeah, that that died with Omicron. So I, um, and this this is relevant because this week, the Board of Education at San Diego Unified ha- voted unanimously to put off its requirement that students over 16 get the vaccine before going to in-person school till July 2023. So at least a little bit more than a year from now, I would go ahead and go on the limb that they're never going to do it. Seems likely, yeah. So let's go through. This was fascinating. So the the district had a presentation from its staff, and the staff made a couple of points about why they felt this was necessary. And one of them was that students are already over that age getting the vaccines, like 80% or whatever. They didn't point out, though, that underneath that was another stat that said that students 5 to 11 years old, what do you think the percentage is that, they, that they've been vaccinated in San Diego Unified? Well, so this is unfortunate because we've prepared for this show, so I know the answer to oh. that because you told me. Okay. So, but <laughs> I could pretend. <laughs> it was a good setup. Why didn't you, you just pretend? <laughs> well, I, 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 I didn't want to be dishonest. Yeah, I, can't I, lie to the, I can't lie to the listeners. <laughs> What is it, I, Andy, Your integrity though? is really good. Yeah. I'm going to mark up your integrity section <laughs> and your you. personnel evaluation. I appreciate higher. that. Yeah, Thank very you. good. Yes. All right, but still tell us. Well, Andrea, do you know? I think he told me, but I forgot. Well, then there you go. Then you can get you can guess. <laughs> go ahead. What do you think it is? Yeah. So remember that in the in the region, it's like 85, 90% right now. We're doing like uptake was significant. Mm-hmm. Saw that statistic on uh, Nathan Fletcher for County Supervisor advertisement yes. on the television. There. Yes. Yes. Mm. Like 15, 20? Okay, I see what you did there, but it was a little higher, 40%. Oh. Okay. Just 40%. over 40%. So 60% of kids in the, like, essentially elementary school age are not vaccinated. Yeah, so a little bit higher for the junior high and, and then 80 plus for the high school. So mm. that was one of the things they said that the vaccine uptake is already high, which again, wasn't for the young kids. But then uh, the woman that was making the presentation, the executive director of nursing and wellness, her name is Susan 
barn dollar. She made a presentation, and here is what she said about the other factors as to why they didn't need to push too hard on the vaccine requirement. So there is limited evidence of widespread classroom transmission of the virus, especially with current ventilation safeguards remaining in place and with an encouragement to voluntarily wear masks indoors. Let's start, stop there for a second. So they're kind of taking some credit that, that the masking recommendations they have are, are limiting the spread, but we should be clear that nobody's wearing a mask. <laughs> Like there's, I, I, maybe other parts of the, I, I guarantee I have not, of course, observed every school. Yeah. So different schools behave differently. Yeah. No question. But yeah. at my kids' school, there's a couple kids peppered around that are yeah. wearing masks, but nobody's wearing masks. Yeah. My son's daycare. I see two, three kids a day, maybe. Yeah. It's got to be 2%, I would yeah. say, three, maybe. Well, I, the construction there is interesting where it's like, there's, it begins with the citation of research. Yes. There's this finding that there's not much evidence of classroom spread. Yeah. And then they kind of just jam on the end. Like, also, we've been encouraging them to like maybe wear a mask it's if they want. It's probably what we've also, done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ventilation, right. I think, does matter. I think it all obviously contributes. But yeah, it's, it's probably something to do with the virus and not necessarily something that they've done. But Move on. All right, the second part of what she said. As new variants come into existence, the original vaccines have lost a significant margin of effectiveness to prevent new infections after the first few months. So that's a kind of significant thing for them to say, right? It doesn't feel significant to me. Okay. Seems like, I mean, I'm coming out of two years where we had to bone up on our virology every yeah. mo- every morning yeah. but uh during that period it seems like there's been pretty well established that post delta the ability for these vaccines to stop infection got much much smaller okay but and as the vac- vaccines uh, over time their their efficacy waned um and that the primary benefit became the how severe your case was likely to right. be, not your ability to to pass. Right, but if but if you're going to acknowledge that, then wouldn't wouldn't the logic then say that there's no reason to press forward at all with the requirement? Oh, I see. Because yes. if you're gonna, if the point of the requirement is to stop the spread, and it doesn't do anything to stop the spread, at that point it becomes a personal evaluation about whether you want to protect yourself from severe illness, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it actually has no communal value. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. So, like, why even delay it? Right. So why, because why, they're, they're still saying through the, the whole conversation, we want to still do this requirement. We're just going to delay. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not seeing spread and this doesn't help stop spread. Well, they've put a number of uh, arguments on the table here mm-hmm. and none of them hold up on a no do it later, but not now right. rubric. The, the real <laughs> argument that they should probably acknowledge is yeah. that 40% of kids haven't. Yeah. And if another, let's say even 20 or 30% jump up, jump up they're still not going to say to the other 30%, you can't you come, can't to, public come to school anymore. Yeah. Especially with the enrollment concerns they have right now. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Join culture creator Remel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. 
How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Andy, this is kind of up your alley. So there's... Because you're a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sandra. Even with the mustache. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so for the last, what would you say, five years or so, there's been an effort to try to take the housing discussion out of the hands of cities and make it a statewide one, right? Yeah, I'd say that's... I don't, I, would have to go back to put a specific time on it, but five years seems like, seems like a, a a fair number. Sure. The, the idea being that local cities were were hostile to the notion that they were contributing to the housing shortage, the supply constraints, mm-hmm. and that if we need to build more homes to for people to live in and control our cost of living and address homelessness, all that stuff, then the 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 decisions need to be removed out of the cities and made on a more large scale. Right. Where they would be less responsive to neighborhood focused concerns. Right. Often. Uh, So I think for the last. So there's been a number of different things passed. Uh, You know, single family home zoning has been addressed that you might be allowed to break up some of those those lots and make more units. Changes to how many individual hearings on a given project you're allowed to have, for instance. I think we saw this week the. One of the first examples mm-hmm. of it being very present okay. at the San Diego City Council. So much so that there was a literal man from the state hovering above the San Diego City Council. <laughs> You've described it like a like a Russian novel. No, it's what it felt <laughs> like. There's this guy from the state yeah. Yeah. hovering above the San Diego City Council. It, and and they're, they're allowed to ask him questions about what they're allowed to do. <laughs> And and he's he's saying this whole time, these are what you, these are the things you're allowed to do. Yeah. And he he was a little stumped this whole time because they had very specific. A lot of these are are lawyers, right? How many of them are lawyers? Four or five. Lover is a lawyer. Raul Campillo is a lawyer. Monica Murray Step is a lawyer. Monty Monty Monvold. So yeah, there's there's several lawyers up there, and they're asking very like specific questions. So what do you mean about? Do you mean adequate or do you mean reasonable? Because reasonable (laughs) is a word that (laughs) lawyers understand and have dealt with in law, but adequate's not there. What's adequate mean? Yeah, yeah. So stuff like that, and he's like, well. I don't know. <laughs> well, if he's a lawyer, he might say it depends, which yeah. is like the, right. the lawyer's favorite rebuttal to anything. So we got a bunch of those yeah. sorts of things. Like when you, you know you're in trouble when you're like, that's a great question. And there yeah. was a lot of that. Okay. Well, I can't speak honestly from experience about how we've dealt with written 
explanations before. Um, I've been at HCD for about six months and change, um, so I haven't seen one of these yet. Um, and I, I actually would need to check with my team about whether we've seen one of these. I'm not sure I totally un understand uh, kind of the distinction or the, the question you're asking. I don't know if you want to rephrase that or... I think part, at least part of the analysis is kind of your basic smell test, right? Yes and no. Um, sorry, some of these, uh, all these questions are good. The answers aren't always um, simple. Um, so first of all, I, I would think of it a little differently. Um, so that's kind of how it went the whole time. So what we're talking about here is the Surplus Lands Act. This was one of those maybe dozen laws that this, the state has passed to try to force cities to to uh, get more housing built, right? Yeah, one minor change I'll add. Surplus Land Act is old. Right. It was changed fairly recently to increase the requirement on cities to use publicly owned land as a place to accommodate the housing shortage. Right. So a couple years ago, the city of San Diego decided it wanted to put up its 50 acres of land at Sports Arena for redevelopment, for lease by private developer who would turn it into something. And the city ran face first into this law mm -hmm. and was forced to redo the whole thing because they hadn't prioritized affordable housing, right? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I would just add, it, yes. they, they, they mostly just didn't follow these like procedural steps necessary to dispense with it. They may have, even in the old inclination, the old version of this proposal, may have gotten to a level of affordable housing that would have been seen as sufficient under the law. They just didn't follow the steps required. Got it. So the Surplus Land Act was changed, and the Department of Housing and Community Develop from the Development from the state was put in charge of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that are supposed to make sure, you're supposed to make sure if you are a city getting rid of this much land or leasing it out or selling it, that you make them happy. And so that's why this man was... Uh, hovering above the city of San Diego's city council, directing them, telling them what they're allowed to do with this 50 acres of land. His name was David Zisser. He is the uh, Housing Accountability Unit Director, um, Leader, <laughs> Chief. Chief. Yeah. Boss. Boss. For the Housing and Community Development Department. And so they were asking the city council brought him on for like an hour yeah. to see what they're allowed to do. There's been five bids for the sports arena land. They wanted to narrow it to three, and they, they decided to have like an hour-long conversation with this guy to ask him what they're allowed to do when they make this decision. Yeah. And he's basically like, hey, man, we're just learning <laughs> like everyone else. <laughs> but it was, I think, very clearly like one of the first vivid examples of the state kind of overseeing this they were very deferential to the state they were very we we don't we don't we're just trying to make you happy what can make you happy david zisser leader chief of the housing accountability unit so that's an interesting observation you have there i don't know if you, if you realize this because if you listen to the like the advocates like the outside of government advocates for this shift from local control to state control Often what they've said, this isn't necessarily what the people who've passed those laws have said in defense of those laws, but the people who have been trying to get those laws enacted, they have said, do these local officials a favor, allow them to say to 
to local their their constituents. Hey, I'd love to listen to you, but I got these jerks up in Sacramento and it's out of my hands. I can't listen to you. I would love for this to just be a single family neighbor neighborhood forever. I agree with you that our community of character is tantamount. However, the the jerks up north, they will not listen. Mm-hmm. And so whether by design or accident, the city council saying like being so deferential to the state is in large way what people who have advocated for these laws have said is the way out of this whole predicament that we found ourselves in. Yeah, yeah. And we already mentioned like he wasn't very clear about what's required. He kept saying, like, uh, you know. <laughs> right. That's a great yeah. question. Great yeah, that, question. That's, that's where the, the design runs into some problems. <laughs> yeah. the, the people in the state are like, ah. Uh, and yeah, some Why of the- Why didn't look- they send him questions in advance? <laughs> Yeah, or maybe they did. Maybe get know, a report but... back. Well, the presentation I think overall made sense, but basically they were trying to like justify that that, that what they were about to do. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how they wanted the staff wanted to lower the number of bids to three from five, mm-hmm. and that they had to prioritize affordable housing to make that decision, and that that's why this one group, Midway Rising, um, uh, Zephyr Partners, Chelsea, if that means anything to you, those are the ones that won, and then the other two. Uh, the ones with this, with the soccer team, the Loyal, the Midway Village Plus, and the other one led by Monarch, the hometown SD. Yeah. Those made it through. But let's be clear. The one that made it through was Midway Rising Plus. Midway Rising, excuse me. Just no plus. It's just Midway Rising normal. Yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> they made it through. And if they can't put together a bid that makes the city and this, this guy who hovered over the city what happy. What would these teams do if they weren't allowed to use camel case in their, <laughs> like, in their project? <laughs> I don't know. Like I, if, if they just had to like use like words, words the way we typically use them. Yeah. They'd, be like, ah. they'd probably come up with like drug company type names. Yeah. Like, or, or like uh social media apps where you just like drop out all the vowels <laughs> <laughs> um spurts are in there <laughs> so remember a few weeks ago this the city council's rules committee mm-hmm. of which four of these people are a part the city council members are a part three of them voted not to shortlift they wanted to read they wanted to see the the, stu- the studies of all the five of the bids so that they could make a decision after that that was very important to them but at this meeting, they all decided unanimously to go down to three. So what changed? That's a great question, Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. None of them, the, the only one who came close to saying what changed was Stephen Whitburn. And he's like, it changed. He, was, he said in there, I don't, I just, ha- I thought, I, I watched this presentation. I talked to some people and I don't know that studying all of them is going to make this an easier decision. So let's just cut it down now. And it's going to take longer and cost more money to, to study all of them. All fine points, yeah. frankly. Uh, all true the time before. So I guess he's sort of conceding that he didn't think about it from that light the right. first time he made this decision, For which, but whatever. Uh, you know, kudos for changing your mind. I mean, the, the biggest problem for the folks on the, the committee who bucked the staff and, and the mayor less than a month ago is that they made a pretty good argument. Yeah. that's They're the victims of the fact that they went public with an argument that sounded like it made a lot of sense to a lot of people who heard it. Yeah. What was and their they, argument? Basically like, well, we haven't done any of the work 
to know which one to, actually to works. know which of these are viable, which one we prefer. Just so how could we eliminate any of them if we ha if if you're conceding that we're just now going to roll our sleeves up and start to figure out which one might be truly capable of building the plan as they've described it here, or that yeah. we're going to get all like I heard that and I went, yeah, that makes a fair bit of sense. And Let's they didn't say anything that persuasive this time around. <laughs> Let's be clear that by the five bidders, they all have beautiful renderings. They all present a, a vision of different housing arrangements. Well, let's just say it like this. If you concede that you're going to basically in an area do a mix of some retail and some office and some housing and some parks and some uh, entertainment stuff, a narrative description of that, no matter how many different ways you arrange it, is going to sound exactly the same. Yeah. Now, and, and, if, and, and a depiction of it by, by rendering will look exactly the same. So they all look pretty and they all sound nice. But there, they're all, yeah. There was two though, yeah, that did not propose eliminating the current sports arena and building a new one on the same land plot, but far from where it is now. Mm -hmm. And those two were the two that the that the staff said they did not want to go forward with. And one of those two was the bidders that had won the last go around. Yeah, so they're out. <laughs> it sucks for them. And then the other one was the one that had actually proposed the most housing, but not necessarily the most affordable units. Mm -hmm. And so the question was like, this, they looked at this and they said, well, this, this is the group that gets the most housing. And, and the city council was like, well, if we're going to study, if, 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 if we're looking at these for the most housing, how do we know that they're not just making up these numbers? Like, like we want, we should study all of them to make sure that we can, we can go and say like, oh, they're real proposals. Because if they just wrote like, well, we'll do, you know, thousands of units and they have no way of actually doing that, then, then that's something we should know before we eliminate two of them that might have a more sound plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So basically I just found that argument persuasive. Yeah. And the reversal, it's not even fair to say that it's less persuasive because they basically didn't say anything. Well, there was one thing we did note, which okay. is that if they did study all five, it seemed clear that they would not be able to get this done in time for one of the bidders to be chosen before it was time to put another measure on the ballot to make all of these plans even legal to do it all. Yeah. Because right now it's not illegal. It's not legal to do any of these plans because the height limit is back in place on that land after the city screwed that up too. Right? Yeah. And you would want to have a winner to help you get that passed. Exactly. You would want the the one bid to succeed so that those people would have a financial incentive to get that vote passed and thus invest maybe a million dollars in helping it pass. Yeah. Now, I guess there's probably other ways you could do it. You could kick the vote out for two more years or if you still want to put the vote up and you say, hey, you guys are all still in the running. We expect all of you to contribute or whatever. I don't know. Um, I, w I guess if the argument here is, hey, we just got to do something. We can't, we can't dilly dally. Let's, it's already been two years since we voted on this the first time. We're going to wait longer. What are we achieving here? But we're eliminating two, sure, but we still have three. We'll find something good enough out of that whole thing. You know, that's not like inspiring. No one's going to like yeah. <laughs> jump out of their chair and like run through a, uh, through a brick wall <laughs> and like excitement about that level of like uh, of, of yeah. city making. For us, it's pretty it's, big. Like, pretty yeah. honest. And, yeah. and, and if that's what it comes down to, I think that's 
it's fine a fine enough argument <laughs> i guess i like you know well, that's what i think so we yeah. we're wondering what the mystery is what changed in the meantime i think what changed is the mayor used every bit of political capital he has yeah to convince all these city council members that we cannot let this vote pass or or this election pass without this chance to vote on this again and get this progress done because Voice of San Diego has called this a San Diego special. <laughs> yeah, well, so I want to ask you. So you said that the, when the, 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 the committee delayed uh-huh. this decision, you uh, declared uh-huh. on, the, on the basis of that decision uh-huh. that this was now. It had transferred to, that it had to become, San Diego special territory. Were, was that hasty? It has been it has been suggested to me that that was a, a hasty determination really? by you. I'm glad that people care was, that there was a determination well, that, that that it needs to be scaled appropriately. This, this one that <laughs> safely in the hasty bucket. Was it hasty? Were you hasty? No, I think it it was on the way to San Diego special land, and they're trying to save it from from going there. They're they they're like the the engineer on the train pulling the brake, like they're trying to keep it on on the rails. Well, so I would actually respond in a different way, which is it didn't need the committee vote to be in that category. It, it already, already was. was. Okay, yeah. fair. I mean, like yeah. when when the judge threw out the measure E, <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. When, when we had to decide how to re-vote, like the moment you enter re-vote into the vocabulary. Yeah. that You have to have a vote that people 57% voted for and you got to do it again. Yeah, that's San Diego. That's special. You're right. Good point. Right. So thank you. So it wasn't hasty. It was delayed. It was, you were you were late to the party, man. I was giving them a little benefit. All right, all right. So it's it's they're trying to save it from San Diego special land. We'll see if they get down to one bid, and we'll see if that bid can get it on the ballot. It does seem like some of the opposition to putting it on the ballot this time might be waning. Before we go, there's one more story we wanted to leave you with. As we record this podcast, it has been one year since Luis Alberto Antonio Armenta was found dead. The medical examiner ruled his death accidental, but his family has said otherwise and pushed for more investigation. Andrea, you published a story a few months ago, and now the family still hopes to get investigations reopened to figure out what happened. Is there anything new? Um, not really. The family's been mostly just looking for attorneys or anybody who will kind of help them guide, you know, guide them through this process, see what they can do to get the investigation open again. Uh, but as of now, nothing's really changed. Remind us uh, a couple of the key facts that stuck out about why this feels like it needs more attention and what drew you to the story. Yes, there were a couple of things. I think, first of all, the big thing was the way his body was found. He was on his belly. Um, in the passenger side of his car uh, with his face on the floorboard, his feet on the headrest. There was a shoe missing. There's a couple of personal belongings missing. So it's not super clear whether he got himself in that position or if someone put him in that position. There was also a video that the family um, was able to obtain from a jack-in-the-box restaurant where a unknown man is seen driving his vehicle on a night when the family did not hear from him. So it's still unclear if yeah. this person was with him, what role they played, who this person is. And then uh, the big one for the family, as well as myself, was a letter that was left behind at his memorial where his body was found that said, um, this man was murdered at the Blue House. So uh, the family has a lot of questions as to you know what happened to Luis the day that they stopped hearing from him to the day that they found his body. 
Uh, it's a fascinating story, engrossing. You can read the whole thing at vosd.org slash Luis. That's L-U-I-S. That's vosd.org slash Luis. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this quadrant of downtown San Diego. See the details and sign up for our live podcast now at vosd.org slash events. That's vosd.org slash events. Come see us. It's time to get back together. We'll have some fun games with the audience. We'll talk. We'll laugh. There's going to be some booze and food, all kinds of things. Link will be in the show notes. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafaña is our Managing Editor. Andrew Keats is also Managing Editor. Adam Greenfield is our Expert Technician. And Nate John is our Expert Producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.